2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to just read a few verses. And I have done this about every week that we've been in this series. Rather than just pick the verses apart or or, um, focus exclusively on those verses, I've used them more as a springboard to talk about um, this whole business of Satan and the demonic realm. And we're going to do the same thing this morning. Um, Really just kind of want to point you to a couple of words in this passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, The Apostle Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You remember what he said in Ephesians chapter 6 when when he said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He's saying the same thing here. We, We are walking in the flesh, but we're not warring in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. As as far as I'm concerned, this is going to be the last sermon in this series that I've called Demonology 101 when you talk about Satan and the demonic realm. And we've only spent five weeks in it. We could have spent a bunch more time. I, I, I had intended to just go to some specific passages like what we had in Job and what, what happened in Zechariah when uh, Satan stood to accuse Joshua and some other places in Scripture that I intended to go to. But I'm not. I'm not going there. I'm, I'm, I, I've intentionally kept this um, out of the weeds as much as I could and been specific. I'm not trying to be exhaustive. In fact, I think it's possible for us to become too obsessed with the demonic realm. Now, granted, we need to know about Satan, what he's up to, but we don't need to be obsessed with what he's up to. Um, Yes, Satan's Satan's powerful, demons are powerful, they're supernatural, but they're no match for the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led believer. They're no match for us when we, have, when we stand in the strength of the Lord and the power of His might and we put on His armor. Um, the more we know and experience the Lord Jesus Christ and the more we walk in His commands and follow His example, the less we're, go- the less we're going to have to worry about Satan um, and those demonic hordes gaining a foothold in our life. Or, and, and, and if they don't, if they, listen, if they can't gain a foothold, they'll never have a stronghold. They have to have a foothold before they have a stronghold. And so the key to us overcoming the enemy is always going to be found in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Him, experiencing Him, obeying Him, following His example. If we do those things, it doesn't matter how powerful the enemy is. We'll be overcomers because of our faith in Christ. But I read this text this morning because it kind of mirrors that uh, text in Ephesians chapter 6, and and just like in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul refers to the warfare that we're doing battle, or he he refers to um, what we wrestle against every day, the conflict that we're in as a warfare um, between um, the forces of darkness, the forces of evil, uh, and the plan and the will and the presence of God in our life. A major element of any warfare is that we need to have some basic knowledge of the enemy 
what kind of resources they have, what kind of tactics they use. And so that's all I've really tried to do through this series is give us a basic knowledge of the enemy, um, who they are and, and, and what they have at their disposal and how they use it against us. And so we've talked about the who and the where they came from. They were created by God as good. And because of their rebellion, they fell. The Bible says, uh, or at least implies, um, that a third of the angelic host followed Satan in his rebellion and were cast out of heaven uh, to inhabit the earth. We talked about their operations and their habitations, how that they are very orderly and very organized and how they, and how they work on the earth. There is a hierarchy of wickedness that is in authority in high places. And Satan, of course, is the prince or the king of them, but they're very organized and orderly in how they attack. Um, some are assigned to nations. Some may, in fact, be assigned to cities. And some are assigned to individuals. They can, um, they can be over regions. They can oppress and they can possess uh, in some ways. We talked about how the names and descriptions reveal a whole lot about their evil uh, nature about their character and about how um, they uh, about their activities um, that go on in the world. Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called a serpent because of his cunningness. And and so there are a lot of the words that we uh, that we call um, these demons that betray who they are in their nature and in their character. And last week we talked about their power and their tactics um, that they can work through nature. That, that he is the prince of the power of the air and he is at least sometimes or has at times caused forces of nature to bring catastrophic events into people's lives. Job in particular was one. Um, and and he can, they can inhabit people. Um, they can take full possession of them and make them do things that they would not otherwise do. Like we read in the scripture about how a demonic spirit caused one young lad to be thrown into fire um, to, to do things like the demon-possessed maniac did to cut himself with stones. So they can inhabit people. They can inflict people um, with mental and emotional physical pain um, they can influence they can initiate and the way that they primarily work in the world is through deception and temptation and I'm gonna hit on that a little bit more this morning so today because Paul's used this term warfare and and in our dealings with the devil he has used the term warfare he said we're, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood but against principalities powers rulers of darkness spiritual wickedness in high places. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He has used military language in how we are to deal with the enemy. So I'm going to give you two military terms this morning for this closing message. It is the term reconnaissance and infiltration. Let me give you the definition of those two words before we dive into them. Reconnaissance is... When a military operation takes and makes an exploratory survey of what they're up against, they examine their enemy, and then they take that intelligence, that intelligence that they gather, and seek to use it against their enemy. That's what reconnaissance is. They send in a team ahead of time. What have they got? What are they working with? Um, where's their weaknesses? Um, find us a point of entry, find us a place where we can attack. That's what reconnaissance is. And then the whole business of infiltration, um, the word kind of gives itself away. It means to pass through small gaps or openings in an enemy's defense. Ultimately, the reason for infiltration is so that you can seize control of the enemy from within. 
And so what Satan is doing in our lives is, is the whole business of reconnaissance and infiltration. That's how he is trying to work against us and against the will of God for our lives. And so I want us to take a few moments this morning and look at this business of reconnaissance and infiltration. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse number 12, there is a description of Lucifer, um, who was the angel that fell, um, who rebelled against God and fell and became Satan. It says in Ezekiel chapter 28 that he was created perfect and that he was full of wisdom. It actually says that twice in Ezekiel chapter 28, that he was perfect in the way that he was created and that he was full of wisdom, but that he was corrupted because of his own iniquity. He got lifted up with pride and was corrupted. Now, there is no reason for us to believe that Satan or that, or that host that followed him lost their wisdom or ingenuity because of their sin. They're still wise. They're still ingenious. They were created in perfection. They failed because of sin. Now, all you have to do, you don't have to take my word for that. When, when man fell into sin, we did not lose our ability to be wise. We did not lose our intellectual abilities. We, our, our minds have been corrupted because of sin, but would you agree with me that man is still pretty ingenious, that we are ingenious when it comes to creating things. Um, you can look at man and how we have set ourselves up a, 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 a against the rest of creation and the things that we've been able to do. And technology continues to amaze me. Timmy was talking about some this morning, how they've, a disease is wiping out watermelon crops. Ain't that what you said? I'm trying to follow you. Wiping it out. Fungus uh, gets in and just destroys the fruit, destroys the vine but that a squash plant is immune to that fungus. And so they've learned to graft a squash plant into a watermelon design and it gives the, into a watermelon vine and it gives that plant immunity. How incredible is that? Men, men are in a, even in their fallen state, men have intellectual capacity to be creative and ingenious in, in the way that they function in the world. And so if Satan was created perfect in his wisdom, but he was corrupted because of his iniquity, um, the only thing that's really changed about him is the sense of how he uses that wisdom, how he uses that creative ability that God gave him. When it could have been used for good, just like man was created good in the image of God, we could have used that for good, but instead we used it for wickedness. So Satan is at work in the world today, still is a very wise uh, and creative entity. So let's talk about this whole business of demonic reconnaissance. And um, I can tell you, you could, we could go all kind of ways this morning, but I'm going to keep it out of the ditches. There is no scriptural evidence whatsoever that Satan and demons are omniscient. They don't know everything. God does. There's no evidence whatsoever in the Bible that the devil can read our mind. So when he, when he comes to do reconnaissance, when he comes to find where our weaknesses are, to find the chinks in our armor, to find where the best point of attack is, Satan and that demonic host gather intelligence through observation. Now I've mentioned this a couple of times already. 
One of the words that's given for Satan in the book of Revelation exclusively is that he's a dragon. If you look that word up, it means to look and see. There's actually a Greek god that's in the shape of a large serpent whose job was to, he had keen vision, that was his superpower, and he was charged to guard a whale. That's, that, that's a good a, a word picture of what Satan is doing in the, in the world. He's trying to guard that wellspring of life. He's trying to keep us from drinking uh, from that water of life. Um, but to look and see. So what Satan does, he can't read your mind. There's no evidence in Scripture whatsoever that he can read our minds. That he knows what we're thinking. Jesus does. God does. But they're omniscient. Satan's not omniscient. So, in, in demonic reconnaissance, they gather intelligence by observing us. They gather intelligence through observation. And that's what we do. Um, when we want to know something about somebody, we can't read their mind. We can't read each other's minds. But we can begin to make judgments about people's character, about who they are, where they are, about where their weaknesses are, by simply observing them so what the devil does is uh, and what the demons do is they gather that intelligence through observation by what they see they observe our lives what we do where we go who we're with they look at our body language they they they, they analyze our gestures and our expressions and they can tell how we feel about certain things by the way we react last night cindy said something to me and she said, I know you didn't just cut your eyes at me. And I did. <laughs> and she caught me because she was looking at me. I can get away with it sometimes when she ain't looking at me, but she was looking at me last night. She was observing, and she knew I didn't receive what she said to me very well. Satan looks. He sees what we do, where we go, who we with, our body language, our gestures, our expressions. At, at, at high, and I, I know that Jeff was talking about this a little bit last Sunday in Sunday school class. One of the things they teach them in law enforcement is to watch people's body language. You can, you can look at them and know whether they're being truthful with you or with themselves. You can look for subtle twitches for their eyes to go a certain way or their mouth. And so uh, in, in, in higher levels of law enforcement and in military intelligence they have learned to identify when somebody is being deceptive in spite of what might come out of their mouth they can read their body language and their gestures and know they're not being exactly truthful they can they can read even sometimes their intentions where they're trying to take the conversation or steer the conversation and in some cases they may be able to even understand where their affections are at who are they going to side with um, they, they, they see all this, even though they may be hearing something totally different, they are gathering intelligence by observing what they see. Now, if mankind can do that kind of stuff, if, if we're capable of being trained to look at a person's body language and kind of determine which direction they're headed or what they're thinking or where their affections are or if they're being deceptive or not, if we can do that in our short little window of time on this earth by a little bit of training, you got to keep in mind that the devil's been doing this stuff. He has been in the reconnaissance business of humanity for 6,000 years. He was there the day that we were created. He knew what made us fall from day one. He knows what has made us fall since then. And he is always watching us. He is always looking for um, our expressions, our 
our activities, where we go, who we're with, what we're doing, and, and how we respond to certain situations in life. They gather intelligence through observation by what they see. They gather intelligence through observation by what they hear. That is what we say in conversation. Now, I heard somebody reason that, well, if he's listening to what we say, then maybe we ought not to pray out loud. Can I tell you, when you're praying, you're already doing damage to the enemy, all right? I wouldn't worry about what you pray um, as, as informing the enemy of anything because ultimately you're, informing, you're not informing God, but you're connecting yourself with God. You're bringing that whole battle itself into a spiritual dimension, and that's where you'll defeat the enemy. However, outside of prayer, outside of the proclamation of the Word of God, I, do, I believe that he very much does listen to what we say. He hears the negativity that comes out of our mouth, um, the pessimism. He hears uh, things that, that we say that either audibly or through written words um, that may be deceptive, that may not be right, that may betray something that's within our heart. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, uh, Jesus said that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you've got good things in your heart, your mouth will proclaim it. If you've got bad things in your heart, your mouth is going to say it. And so Satan is listening to what we say um, verbally, audibly, or if we write it down, he's witnessing that. And he, he knows that. What we're saying is coming from the abundance of our heart. So if there's bad in us and it comes pouring out of our mouth, then he's made an observation on that basis. He's gathering intelligence uh, on that basement, on, 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 on that um, basis. And, um, and so looking and seeing, observing, gathering intelligence. And, and, and my wife often tells me, and we say, I said this this morning, she said, it ain't what you say, it's how you say it. So he's looking, he sees, and he hears what we're speaking in this world. And I believe the demonic realm is just as or more observant than we are. My wife can sit right there in that pew and look at me and know if I'm mad, know if I'm sad, know if I'm aggravated with somebody. I can walk in the door and not say a word and she can look at me and know whether I've had a good day or a bad day or whether it's time to talk or not talk. And if she can do that, observing me in the 38 years that we've been together, Satan can certainly do that because he's been with me and he has observed me from the first day that I was born, as he has you. Then they gather intelligence by what they see, by what they hear, and by what they perceive. And that, and that simply means that they take what they see and hear and they gain a rational grasp upon what we are thinking or feeling. Does that make sense? We do the same thing to each other. We take what we see and we hear and then we make a perception. We, wrap our, we try to wrap our minds around what's going on inside of each other. Now, I think that's exactly how they work. They gather all that intelligence by seeing and hearing, and then, they, and then they, it culminates in the formation of an idea in the demonic host about how they can manipulate whatever particular weakness we've allowed them to see. By something that we've done or by somewhere that we've been or by something that we've said, and they prey on that. By the way, if you, it ain't an easy read, but if you've never read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, 
it'll help you understand some of this business about how the demonic realm works. When you're in those places uh, doing those things or saying those things that he can take and manipulate that weakness and use it against you. And we have given ammunition, you might say, um, to the enemy. If you, live with long, if you live long enough with somebody, you can develop some pretty clear perceptions about what's going on inside them, can't you? If you live long enough with somebody, you can begin to identify and perceive some things about them um, that other people may not know. So that, the enemy takes this observation, this reconnaissance, makes a perception about where our weaknesses are, and then begins to devise some battle strategies about how he can influence us and infiltrate our lives. And that's where the whole demonic infiltration comes from. <clears throat> Before we dive into this, let me just give you a theory, all right? It, it's, it's debatable. I, I do not believe, let me be clear about what I'm about to say. I don't want to mess, I don't want to muddle your mind up. It may already be. I do not believe Satan can read our mind, period. I, I believe that they are absolutely, completely dependent on what they see, hear, and perceive about us. It's debatable whether or not they can speak directly into our mind or into our ear. I'm not sure they can. Now, here's one theory, and I'm just going to throw it out there. And you, I'm not sure what I believe about it. I've studied it. I've pondered it. I've prayed about it, and I still ain't sure what I believe. There is a theory. Adam was, born, Adam was created perfect, as was Eve. God saw them that they were good. They had, they had spirit, soul, and body. <clears throat> when they sinned against God, their spirit immediately died. They lost their fellowship. They lost their relationship with God. They, they experienced a spiritual death right away when they fell into sin. And we inherited that Adamic nature. So, so there's, a, there's a theory that said when Adam sinned, and it resulted in his spiritual death. It gave the enemy the ability to have a soul-to-soul -soul communication. Not that he can read our mind, but that he can speak into our heart. Now, I could take you to a bunch of passages of Scripture that people have, have gleaned that from, but I'm not going to. Here's the thing. In, in the Garden of Eden, Satan had to physically and audibly make himself known to Adam and Eve. And he did in the form of a serpent. He was... He was a physical, he was physically represented in the body of the serpent and he spoke to them audibly. He don't do that to us today. But the theory is that when Adam died spiritually, it, it tore down the separation that existed between us and the enemy so that the enemy could then speak into our mind or into our into our conscience and influence us. Now, I'm not sure why I believe about that. My, here's my initial reaction to that. By the way, Mitch and I have talked about this, and, and, and he's with me. He said, I'm not sure if I believe that either, but there are some theories to that regard. <clears throat> that may be true of an unbeliever, but when we're born again, we experience a spiritual rebirth. And so if Adam's sin tore down that wall so that Satan could communicate directly to their conscience, my, my, my thought process would be that 
If we've been spiritually reborn and that wall's been built back up and Satan can't communicate to us soul to soul anymore. Um, it, it, that door ought to be closed. But on the other hand, the Bible in the New Testament tells us that we have a battle every day to crucify the old man and to, and to put to death that carnality that is in us. So there might still be a possibility there. I didn't mean to muddy the water with that, but I just want to tell you that theory. But let's just suppose for a minute that, this is, that the truth is this, that Satan cannot, the demons cannot speak a thought directly into your mind or into your ear. So how do they influence? How do they infiltrate? How do they get their foot in the door of our life? I don't mean for this to be an exhaustive list, but there are some things that I think the Scripture points us to. And, and, and I think ultimately it all falls under this headline. That, that when, you, when you talk about demonic infiltration, it is that they gain influence in our lives by the power of suggestion. They gain influence in our lives by the power of suggestion. You realize that's a very strong thing in us? That somebody can suggest something to us and just the power of that suggestion can influence us in a certain direction. So if this is the primary way that Satan works, how does he make those suggestions? How can he, how can he do that without direct access to our ears or to our minds? The first two we've already talked about a little bit, but I'm going to hit them again because I believe these are the two, probably the two, I, I better not say most effective, maybe the most common ways that he influences us by the power of suggestion, and that is through deception. He is a deceiver. And so he, he, he influences our lives by suggestion through deceptive words. And those words could be spoken by somebody else or, or written and we read them. But, but, but most of the time what those words would do, whether they're spoken by somebody else or written by somebody and we come in contact with them, we hear them with our ears, we read them with our eyes, is that they in some way, shape, or form misrepresent God's nature, God's character, or God's will for our lives. It's deception. Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies. So every, every partial truth is a whole lie, and it was hatched in the mind and the heart of Satan, and he got somebody to be the mother of the lie and perpetuated it, and when we hear it or read it, that power of suggestion, listen, it can come to you in all kinds of different forms, but ultimately what it's designed to do is to misrepresent the nature, character, and will of God. That is what Satan did in the garden, that power of suggestion. Mm, I'm not so sure what God told you is true. It's not that you're going to die when you eat the fruit. It's that you're going to be like God because you're going to be able to discern good from evil. And it was that power of suggestion that caused her to look at that tree and see that it, it looked good. It was pleasant to the eyes, so it must be good to taste. And she ate thereof and gave it to Adam, and he ate thereof. And immediately were naked and ashamed and went and hid themselves from God. Deception. It is that power of suggestion, that misrepresentation of the character, the nature, the will of God in our lives. And I, I hate to have to say this, but I'm going to tell you something that's true that we don't like to hear. You may hear deceptive words from friends 
who are already outside of the will of God that Satan uses to whisper another deception into your life and that power of suggestion makes you follow that deceptive thought process. To influence you. I had a couple, they're not a part of this church, that came to me several years ago for some counseling. And my first question to them was, have you been to your pastor? Because they went to church. They, he, they said, we have. But he sat with us one time and he said that as far as he could tell, we were incompatible with each other and the best thing we could do is get a divorce. Neither one of them guilty of infidelity. But the power of suggestion, you're not compatible with each other. Now listen to me, that came out of the mouth of a preacher. And I'll say shame on him. Maybe he just didn't want to counsel them anymore. Maybe he, didn't want to, maybe he felt like he was wasting his time. But that, that's not any kind of counsel I'd ever give anybody. Even if when infidelity is involved, I always say there's a, there's, if you can work it out, you ought to work it out. You need to work it out. It's worth fighting for. But this that deceptive suggestion. People can be honestly hurting with you because you're hurting and they can tell you that you ought to do things or they'll say things to you that are not necessarily true that'll cause you to go in a direction that leads you away from the will of God for your life. So you really got to be careful about who your friends are. And I would just tell you this, if your friends are outside of the will of God themselves, I'd be real, real, real careful about what you hear that comes out of their mouth because Satan will use them to influence you by deceptive suggestions. We open the door to the demonic when we begin to doubt God's word and believe instead the lies that are being spoken or written that we read or that we hear. You hear what I'm saying to you? We open the door for Satan to infiltrate our lives when we begin to doubt what God said and believe instead some deceptive lies that the enemy is allowing to enter into our life through the spoken or written word. The second way that I think he uses the power of suggestion is through temptation. Again, we talked about these two a little bit last week, but listen. We are sensually driven. Don't, don't, mis, don't misunderstand the word sensual, all right? Sensual, sensual just means pertaining to the senses. We are sensually driven people. The enemy can use our senses to draw us away from God by placing things in our path that tempt us to go against the will of God for our lives. Because of their observations, because the devil's been watching you, he knows what you've been doing, he knows where you've been going, he knows who you've been with, because he's been listening to you. He knows what you say, he knows what you read. He knows where you have had problems before. And he knows the areas of your life where you're weak. The Bible calls them besetting sins, where we stumble over and over and over again. And so when he has observed you, he can take temptation and use it by the power and the influence of suggestion. Appealing to your senses. He did it to Eve. 
It looks good. Tastes good. Or looks like it tastes good. And she ate. And, and he's been doing the same thing in our lives. From the we, we are sensual people, and he uses our senses to draw us away from God through temptation. The temptation itself is not a problem. You understand that? It's not a sin for us to be tempted. I struggled with alcohol for a long time. I thought it made me feel good. It did make me feel good for a little while until I drank too much, and then it made me feel bad. Never accomplished anything. But I remember those first few months where I was trying to break that habit with alcohol um, in a convenience store that I used to stop in every day and, and, and buy alcohol at right after I got off from work. I went in there not too long after Cindy gave me the ultimatum, you can't drink anymore. This is before God got a hold of me. Man, I was fighting a battle. I wanted. I knew. I knew what it would taste like. I knew that it would refresh me. I knew that it would help me. And um, and I walked back to that cooler and got me a, a tall one and towed it to the counter and uh, and 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 I said no, I can't do that. And I towed it back to the cooler and got me a Mountain Dew and went back to the counter and took the Mountain Dew and towed it back to the cooler and got the tall one and towed it. I went. Listen, I'm serious. I made that trip back and forth to the cooler, swapping from Mountain Dew to tall ones. About three times. And the guy at the cash register was like, is this guy a maniac or has he lost his mind? And I finally walked out of the store without anything. And, and as I drove away, my, in my thoughts, I said, I can't ever stop there again on my way home from work. Because I'll be tempted every time I do. Now that temptation was not a sin for me. It is the yielding to temptation that opens the door for the enemy. That temptation is nothing more than a, it is a way to influence us by suggestion. That's going to taste good. That's going to feel good. That looks good. That, that's, gonna, that, that, that's what you need right now in this moment to gratify your flesh. And we have a strong desire to gratify our flesh. So Satan uses temptations to appeal to us in that area. But when we yield, listen to me, when we yield to any sin, we've let the devil get a foothold. We've let him infiltrate. We've let him influence us to begin to walk away from the will of God for our life. The third thing that he uses, I think, to infiltrate or to suggest things to us is through affliction. And by that I mean that he utilizes the trials and tribulations of our life to suggest to us that God does not know what's happening to us, that God doesn't care what's happening to us, or that God isn't able to deliver us. I think he used some of those things in Job's life. Let me afflict him. Then you'll see where Job stands. Now we know that Job stood. But Satan's attempt to afflict him was the cause, was to suggest to Job that God didn't really care about him or that God could not deliver him from the trials that he had been placed in. I'm going to read you this passage. Really, you need to read the whole context of 1 Thessalonians to wrap your mind around it, but I think you can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. That Paul really wanted to go back to Thessalonica to visit with them. Um, 
he only stayed there about 11 days, I think, if I remember right. He didn't have a long time to teach them before he got run out of town through the persecution. And they actually followed him out of town to drive him even further away. So he said in verse 1, When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. We're going to stay in Athens. But we sent Timothy, our brother and a minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Listen to verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. They were still being persecuted because they believed the gospel. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I can no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. So Paul left Thessalonica knew, knowing that if they persecuted me and run me out of town, they're going to persecute those that live there. And so he's concerned about their faith. He's concerned whether their faith is still standing up in the midst of those afflictions. So he said, Timothy, we're going to send Timothy to check on you. And what Timothy told us is that your faith is still standing strong in the midst of the affliction. But he said, my fear is that the tempter would come and through these afflictions cause you to lose your faith in who God is and God's plan for your life. So afflictions are sometimes used by the enemy to cast doubt on our faith. To question the nature of the character of God or the power of God and His ability to deliver us in our life. In your sufferings, let's just be honest for a minute. In your sufferings, have you ever questioned whether God really cared? I have. I mean, I, and then I've had to sing the songs like we sang this morning. You're a good, good father. All my life you've been faithful. You're not less faithful now just because I'm going through affliction. In fact, what God's proven to me is that He's even more faithful in the afflictions. He stands with us, beside us, for us, not against us. But Satan will use those afflictions to try to suggest to us that God doesn't know, that God doesn't care, and that God can't help. He'll, he'll influence us through our emotions. <clears throat> our ability to feel things is, is, a, is, a, is it's a, it's a great strength for us, but it's also a big doorway for evil to enter. I'm glad that I can feel things, aren't you? I mean, I'm glad that we have a whole range of emotions it's good that we can grieve with one another when sadness has encroached in our lives. It's good for us that we can rejoice with each other when rich blessings have come our way. Feelings are a good thing and can be used as instruments for good, but they can also be a doorway for Satan to make some suggestions to us. I don't have time to dig real deep in this, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, that passage of Scripture says, Be angry. And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And the 27th verse says, Neither give place to the devil. That's one sentence. What's being suggested there is that if we let anger go unrestrained in our life, it opens the door for Satan to gain a foothold in our life. 
If we, if we let the sun go down upon our wrath, if we seethe in our anger, then we open the door for Satan to stick his foot in and begin to manipulate and influence us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, I didn't mark them. You got them, Zena. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That's talking about Jesus. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil. Now here's the devil's power in death. In verse 15. To deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what does Satan do? Satan, Satan used fear, specifically the fear of death, to keep people in bondage. You know what? The fear of death will make people do, people do strange things today. I mean, the, I think the pandemic proved to us that the fear of death is a powerful emotion in our life. And if we're not real careful, it will give opportunity for Satan to get his foot in the door. So we got to be careful about our emotions because they, can, they, are, they are sometimes open doorways for Satan to enter in and begin to influence us, make suggestions to us that are outside the will of God. And there are other emotions, sadness, jealousy, bitterness, despair. All of those things can be open doors for Satan. And I would, I would even go so far as to say that sometimes things that feel good we, I mean, sometimes, the Bible said there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. So Satan can use that feel-good aspect of sin. It may be a flirtatious relationship with a co-worker. It's titillating. It feels good in the moment. But Satan uses that emotion, that feeling, to draw us in, and it makes us then weaker to the temptation. So I don't mean to, I don't, listen, I want you to understand I don't think he's just using these things one at the time in our life. I think he's taking all of these things and by looking and observing and perceiving, he's deceiving and tempting and afflicting and making our emotions an open door for him to get his foot in. He, you understand, he don't have to talk to us directly to influence us in these ways. And the last thing, it's through pride. And we all know that's the original sin. That was Satan's sin. And let me just tell you what it looked like in Satan. That he was better. That he was above the others. That he deserved more. And, and I'm going to tell you, he'll, he will come into our lives and by that influence of suggestion make us think that we are better. That we, that we do better. That we deserve better than we're getting. Rather than give God glory... Whether, rather than thanking God for His grace and His mercy, we instead credit ourselves with our own wisdom, beauty, good works. Spiritual pride was the snare of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus called them children of the devil. And He said for all of us, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is pride. Pride. 
The Pharisees thought like we are better, we do better, we deserve better. And their pride gave Satan an open door to walk in their lives and influence them. I want to, I'm, I, I'm done. I, I, want, I, want, I want you to know this morning that every person in this room is susceptible to satanic reconnaissance and infiltration. All of us are. Christian and non-Christian. He observes. He looks. He listens. He perceives. He identifies those areas where we may be frail, where we may be weak, where we may be struggling. And he infiltrates our lives by making suggestion to us through all of those ways. It's real. And it happens every day. I was talking to Brother Will last Sunday after the service. When we went to California Cup 2019 before the pandemic. I walked, I walked in a store. It was in, I think, Huntington Beach. There was a nice little store there inside the hotel. And Cindy was shopping like she always does. And I'm bored out of my mind in the store. And I saw a, a rack up there full of men's soap. It was, it was um, I'd never seen that kind of soap. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like Ivory Spring or anything like that. I mean, it was a crazy something Dukes or something like that. Some of you guys may use it, but. I've never seen it before. I've seen a lot of things in California I've never seen before. <laughs> Some of them I will never see again. I just walked over to that soap rack and picked up a bar of soap, sniffed it, and put it back because I wasn't going to pay $10 for a bar of soap, <laughs> and walked out of the store. I was all by myself. Sydney wasn't there beside me. She didn't see me pick up the soap. She didn't see me smell the soap. She didn't hear me say in my mind, I ain't paying $10 for a bar of soap. We got in the car and started our next little leg of the journey, and I opened Facebook. And the first advertisement on my timeline was for Duke Soap. I ain't never seen Duke Soap before. How'd they know I looked at Duke Soap? How'd they know I smelled it? Now my whole timeline is full of Sasquatch soap and Duke soap and all kind of other soap. <laughs> now I know how they do that kind of stuff. I, I say I do, I don't. But here's what I've read. RFID technology. There's little tiny chips embedded in products. And those things communicate with our electronic devices. We don't see that when it happens. We don't know that when it happens, but it does it. I ain't so convinced that they ain't listening to us when we talk, too. I, see, I, I was walking into my daily devotional prayer time with pastors one Wednesday, and it had been a rough week already. We had had some, some, just some troubles Monday and Tuesday, and Donnie Durrance was walking in the door of his church. He said, how you doing, Brother Keith? I said, I'm tired and I forget what else. I'm, I'm, I'm wore out and frazzled or something to that extent. An hour later, I looked at my social media and the question 
on some kind of advertisement. Are you feeling worn out and frazzled? <laughs> I said, wait a minute now. Can I turn the microphone off on this thing? My point is this. If a natural, imperfect man has the kind of intelligence to know that kind of stuff about our lives through his creative ingenuity so that he can target us for marketing schemes and plans, the power of suggestion is pretty strong. <laughs> I got to admit, I almost paid $10 for one in bar of soap two or three times because they talk about how your wife just can't wait to smell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pay $10 and see if it works. But if they have that kind of intelligence and influence, a natural, imperfect, sinful, fallen man, don't you think for a minute that Satan and the demonic host don't know how to read us? Don't know what we're up to. Where we're going, what we're doing, who we're with. How we respond to different situations in our life. We don't have to understand all of their ways to be victorious over them. We just need the power of Jesus on the inside. And we need the Word of God as our guide. Now, I'm, I've meant to present to you Satan and the demonic host as powerful adversaries because they are. But I want to emphasize as I close this morning that they are not all powerful. And that we do have the ability to stand against them. The Apostle Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The Apostle Peter told us about our adversary and how he walks about seeking whom he may devour. He said, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. So I want you to understand this morning, if we have the power of Jesus inside and the infallible Word of God as our guide, we can overcome. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. James said, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. That's the first thing. Then we can resist the devil and he'll flee. If we draw nigh to God, he'll draw near to us. And the enemy is no match for our God at work in our life. So, so if you will humbly submit yourself to God through Jesus Christ, that is the way that you'll overcome the enemy from beginning to the end into eternity. Uh, I'll remind you of one verse we read a few weeks ago. I didn't give it to her. They overcame him. Who? Satan was cast out to the earth with great fury. He knew that he didn't have but a short time left. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And we'll overcome him the same way that they did.
Amen. As our musicians come this morning, would you stand? Lord, I pray that you have helped us learn some things about the enemy that we never knew before. I pray that God we'd not make too much of him, but that we'd not make too little of him either. Help us to recognize. First, help us to be conscious of the things that we give for Him. What we do, where we go, who we're with, how we react to certain situations in our life. Help us to be mindful of the fact that He is watching, observing, listening drawing conclusions about us by our daily activities and then using that intelligence against us to deceive us, to tempt us and even to afflict us to work in our emotions we need to know all those things more than anything else we need to know that if you are for us it doesn't matter who's against us so help us God this morning to submit ourselves to you not just today but every day to draw near to you and you'll draw near to us and then we have the power and the authority and the ability to resist the enemy without Jesus on the inside and the word of God as our guide we'll fail every time those things, God, we can be victorious. We can overcome. So have your way in this time of invitation. Do whatever you want to do. And we'll praise you for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.